Welcome to the Tech Cat Show with host Lori H. Schwartz. Each week we hear from established leaders in the technology and consumer industry. Finding out the scoop should never be this much fun. Now, here is your host, Lori H. Schwartz. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Tech Cat Show. For the last couple of weeks, we've been focused on different content creators. Uh, we talked to uh, Josh Mealy over at the NAB show about podcasting, and we talked to our, our, our friend um, Noam, who is a massively successful uh, cross-platform content strategist doing a lot of really interesting work. So today, we're going to dig, dig into some more areas of, of content creation and specifically um, focus a bit on live streaming because it's such an exciting time for live streaming, um, sort of what what's old is new again. And so we're going to chat with our friends at Butcher Bird Studios, who are a creative media company who are doing a lot of really interesting things, and we're going to talk about all of them. So let me first introduce Louis Reyes, who is executive producer at Butcher Bird Studios. Hello, Lori. Welcome, welcome to the show. Yay! Thank you. <laughs> and also Stephen Calcote, writer-director over at Butcher Bird Studios. Yay! Good afternoon, Lori. So excited to be here. Woohoo! <laughs> oh, the studio audience always goes wild. It's like being on the Muppet Show or something. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, we are in good company if we can call back to the Muppet Show. That's right. Well, you guys are really, um, you know, sort of uh, multi-platform content creators. You're a studio, you're a media company, you're a production house, housing a lot of different talent. Give it, give us some background on Butcher Bird Studios and also on each other. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, a lot of us uh, started uh, working together probably 15, uh, 10, 15 years ago um, and doing a lot of interesting stuff in the media space. Uh, we all kind of met at a publishing company called Tokyo Pop, where we were doing a lot of um, basically manga, Japanese manga, uh, and doing a lot of original properties with that manga. And that kind of parlayed into building up the website. And this was back uh, when not a lot of companies were doing this yet. Um, and so taking a lot of the manga and creating kind of motion comics out of it um, and creating uh, separate animated pieces for that and kind of working a lot with um, the more traditional entertainment world to do a lot of crossover stuff. So we did like a Star Trek manga and a CSI manga and a Battlestar Galactica manga. And... Um, through that time, I think all of us individually were all still making, you know, films, uh, television stuff uh, at the at that moment, web content. Um, and then several years later, uh, we all kind of entered the diaspora. So I went into video gaming. Uh, Stephen Calcote went into the agency world. Um, several of our other partners landed in, in various places from uh, management to um, film production uh, with Lillian. So uh, about 20... 10 or so, I was at a video game company called Nexon, and I had this idea to build an entire content ecosystem around the uh, video games uh, that we had. And of course, uh, when I wanted to get that content made, I reached out, reached out to my friends, uh, Butcher Bird Studios, at that point was just a collective of directors who just wanted to help each other make stuff. And by bringing them in, we sort of got a uh, crash course in 2010, so this is a little earlier than a lot of other people were doing this, in kind of an internal content ecosystem which consisted of uh, an animated series, a live action series, uh, interviews with producers, uh, extra kind of a, a, a sketch comedy content, uh, machinima, pretty much any kind of content we can create. We had a variety show called uh, Blabberbox, and all these pieces sort of fit within the context of that. And I think over the two years that that happened, it was almost like a grad school in this. Uh, and then um, about 2013, the, uh, the, the incarnation of Butcher Bird Studios as it is got together and uh, started doing a lot of industrial work, uh, industrial work that tied into a lot of media, uh, different kinds of media. So it was a lot of interactive stuff that we were doing at that point for uh, Above and Beyond, uh, which was a exhibition at the Smithsonian um, uh, funded by Boeing and uh, many other projects. And then as we were doing those projects, we developed kind of capabilities that included VR and AR. We actually also put out our own feature films. So the more traditional things were there. Uh, we did some stuff 
stuff with um, with teachers, the Viacom uh, show uh, on TV Land, teachers, and just sort of adding more capabilities to this. And I guess the the culmination of all this came when we started really getting into live streaming. Um, and Stephen Calcote, who I'm hoping will take over this conversation right now, <laughs> had this had this crazy idea to do a large scale sci-fi show live. And that takes us up to current. Orbital Redux basically harkened back to yesteryear of live television at the 50s, yet took all of the latest interactive technology and filmmaking tools for the digital age and created a sci-fi adventure without apology for audiences. And Lori, I would sum up all of this. The TLDR version is we were all storytellers who came together, and we found that we all of us from the beginning of us telling stories, wherever that happened in our careers, use the latest technology to tell stories in interesting ways. And that that was really the birds of a feather. Yeah, and one thing that I think is really important to look at too, I, I think as all these technologies were emerging, I think the tendency was to try to use these new technologies to tell more traditional narratives, very plot-driven, very TV and film-focused. And what we've realized as we've gotten into virtual reality and augmented reality and interactive and even live stream is that every one of these introduces a different kind of narrative toolbox uh, that you could draw from. And so one of the important things that we keep emphasizing with all this stuff, especially as we're moving into live streaming, um, is that... um, Find out what those tools are that tell that basically allow you to sort of explore narrative in a different way. Um, and even though live stream is often compared to live television, say back in the 50s and such, um, it is a different beast now because now that live stream is back, as you said at the top of the show, the old is new. It's new at a time where we also have interactive tools. We also have online audiences. We also have uh, kind of direct communication with um, uh, technology. So, so cameras are connected to the live um, board and everything. So, so it's coming back, but it's coming back in a far more dynamic way. And that's why you know we emphasize this idea, well, what, what new tools are now open to us now that live stream is a, is a very real reality? Now, do people come to you and say, I want to do live streaming, I want to do immersive, you know, I want to do this or I want to do that? Or are they coming to you with a content idea and then you're deciding how to do it? You know, it's funny. Both of those realities have happened to us just in the last few years. We've because of our reputation for being storytellers who are u- always using the latest, craziest technology, we now have a bit of a rep for our producers, especially on the agency side. Anytime they're trying to do something different with a brand, we're often the first call. So the first example that you gave was, do they ask about live stream? That happened to us a few years ago. One of our great creative producer friends and agency is Kat Urban, who's over at um, TBWA uh, Shia Day. Uh, over on the west side and she had an incredible idea for one of her clients to do something really special airbnb wanted to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the national parks here in the united states with this idea that airbnb would give you the closest parks experience you could you could participate in because those properties are much closer to many of these parks than hotels will ever be so um Cat and that creative team, they came up with this idea of what if we did a coast-to-coast, sunrise-to-sunset, 12-hour-long live stream going to three key parks. So that started 100% as a live execution concept. And we were asked to bring production teams who could live stream from the field, West Coast, Central, and East Coast, and, and follow this story all the way through. So that's an example of well, what do you do um, live? Orbital actually is the most recent example where it was the other side, which is, okay, there's a great story. This is this is legendary. And when we sat down in the pitch, we actually talked about it as a bona fide sci-fi adventure. And then the question from the creative executives listening was, great, what would it take to make this interactive? 
So we've seen both examples, starting from the tech first and starting from the story first. Yeah, and one thing important to uh, uh, note is that um, National Park's uh, project was one of the first big live stream things we did. And and just to give you guys a sense of it, it was four hours at, at one national park the morning, four hours in the middle of the day at a different national park, and four hours at the end of the day uh, for yet another national park. We had three different teams out in all over the United States doing this. And these were often in places that did not have strong internet access. So we also had to figure out what the uh, what, how we could boost the signal. Um, yeah. So that was a technical achievement as well. So even though basically it was one camera looking out the backyard of a, a specific Airbnb property and people ask, well, why would anybody watch that feed for four hours? Nothing's happening. <laughs> well, here's what we discovered. Many people will, and none of them watched it for four hours, but many people dropped into the line for like, 10 minutes, 15 and, minutes. And that's where we learned that there's this concept of slow TV. That's a new modality for people consuming story, if you will, that they will leave up a window on their work machine, on their home machine, in the corner of their TV, wherever they're watching. Oh, my which, God, I love that. You just coined like a new trend that I've never heard of before. <laughs> well, I, I can't take credit for slow TV, but I can with pride say that we were firmly in the middle of it afterwards realizing that that's what it was. And we found out from the audience, millions of people tuned in over the course of this 12 hours because of the earned media. It was one of the first big plays. Facebook Live had just opened up, which is very recent. I mean, we talk about Facebook Live as if it's an old tech. It's only a few years old. They had just made it possible to broadcast for more than 30 minutes. So Airbnb and us, we had live engineering support from the Facebook side. And here was the great delight, Lori. There were many, many people who watched all 12 hours. They just had it on their machine. They had it wow. on their machines, and yeah. they would dive in and out, and they would right. say, hey, a sailboat just went by. That is wonderful. Thank you for a wonderful sunset. It's the first time that I've been given credit for a sunset. <laughs> let, let me ask you a question because, um, you know, especially on the digital side of things, when you are monetizing these things and an advertiser cares about who's watching and when are they watching and with digital, now they can track that. But does that count for an advertiser if someone has it on the screen? Because how do we know they're watching? You and well, I know, know, know that that's this, what Nielsen's been really reporting on. Sure. For so long, but in our but in in our world of digital, where we come from, like really being able to see data, does that count? You know, that's engagement with a big E, right? And and I think that in an interesting way, Lori, those of us who have been doing interactive and have been held to a higher standard than TV ever was, because remember the Nielsen ratings were people with a pen and paper scribbling in when they remembered originally what they were watching, and now there's a digital version, but. TV, you have no idea what the actual engagement is. And so what we have been asked to do time and time again is to answer exactly the question you asked. Well, are people watching and what is their experience? And this is the beauty of live interactive is people witness what they're watching. They actually write into the feed. Right. And, and and that is very exciting for a brand. Oh, we should, wow. Okay, we, let's yeah. come back. We're going to have to take a break, and we're going to talk more about that because I'm used to hearing about that from, like, you know, a Twitch sort of situation right. where people are commenting or when we're watching, like, the White House speeches and people are writing in. But but you're, you're talking about this now for other types of storytelling, which is totally, yes. totally fascinating. All right, well, we're going to um, jump back in again. With the folks from Butcher Bird Studios, we have Luis Reyes and Stephen Calcote who are here filling us in on, on how they um, approach um, choosing a, a platform, a technology, and then telling the story and especially digging in deep to live streaming. So we'll be back in a moment on the Tech Cat Show. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform, innovate, create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K. on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to lori at techcat.tv. That's lori at techcat.tv. Hi, everybody. And we've been getting the down low on um, live streaming from Lewis and Steven from Butcher Bird Studios, who are really experts in um, in creative media solutions. And one of them that they've been um, doing a lot of work around is live streaming. And I just learned something. And I'm not going to say I don't learn new things. I learn new things all the time. But I'd never heard the expression slow TV, which is just watching a stream, keeping it up on your screen, not necessarily being really active with it. But then you guys have expanded beyond this with storytelling and more narrative formats that do require more than just commenting, but like people actually directing the narrative. So how right. did you go from slow TV to that? Well, let's uh, let me go back and uh, talk address slow TV real quick. You yeah. had asked before the break about kind of how do advertisers, how do people know that people are engaged, and we mentioned well they're do, they're in the comment section. But the other thing is, you know, with Facebook they have all those smiley faces and love icons, and what we did notice was that you know because there were so many people watching, that was like a regular feed. It was like a it was like a a fountain of little smiley faces and and love signs coming across the screen. And that's also a big indicator. So outside just the comments, it's a kind of comment, but it's far more visually present on the uh, on the actual live feed. Um, uh, what I also I guess looking at the movement from that to completely interactive, I mean, there's several steps in the middle there. One of the things about live streaming is that things that no one else would have seen, they are now allowed to see. And there are two things that um, uh, come up came up recently. And one was um, Sam Shepard, uh, beloved American playwright, passed away recently. And uh, I happened to be in a theater group here in LA, a playwrights, uh, and we're kind of marginally connected to that whole. Um, um, uh, Sam Shepard clan, including his sisters. Um, and they came to me and asked, you know what, there are a lot of people who can't fly out for a Sam Shepard's memorial. Um, and we were going to have Ed Harris there and Bill Pullman there and Murray Mennick, another uh, really fantastic playwright there. And um, could you live stream it? And at this time, we live streaming again was was still a little bit, you know, unreliable. We, this was the probably the largest thing we'd attempted. This was a multi-cam live stream, three different cameras. We were feeding uh, sound from the, the soundboard that was already there back into our system. Um, and we were able to live stream this fantastic presentation um, in memorial, uh, memoriam of um, Sam Shepard. 
And we noticed that a lot of people were on that watching, more people than we'd ever had in live streaming up to that point outside of a, outside of a, a big branded thing. Um, and it was, again, it wasn't that we were, we were broadcasting it so that more and more people would see it. We broadcast it as a way to just expand the audience in the room, which was only 300 people. It was at the Bootleg Theater here in L.A. Um, and that was a way where people who who loved Sam could actually connect with um, their friends uh, without actually having to physically and be. That, and that was straight word of mouth. And it was, hey, come to our site. And I think this is this is part of the original modern web idea, Lori, which, of course, is only really 20 years old, where – Every, the the power here is that everyone can have their own channel. Live does something interesting in that it makes that channel, whether it's a website or your Twitch feed or your Facebook page, it makes it relevant to the now. And that was the evolution that I think is exciting where that first summer with Airbnb, it was slow TV. The next summer, they came up with this really exciting hybrid uh, show that we had never heard of doing this way before Airbnb served as the sole corporate advertiser slash sponsor for a new national geographic pilot called live from now this is the really special part of it that pilot debuted simultaneously on the Airbnb site which has millions of viewers on Facebook and the national geographic site on Facebook which has millions of viewers so imagine that that your your imagine that Target store wanted to sponsor a show on a network such as CBS, let's say, as an example, they have no control over any of that. They have no control over the programming. They have no control over when it shows up. But on site, we had Airbnb, National Geographic, and Butcherbird Studios working together two summers ago, where we were able to craft a show that worked well for everybody. It was great travel content. The fun thing here it was live from Roswell. So it was at the same time as the International UFO Festival there. And what? all the zany, wonderful, fascinating story that it was. But we were live broadcasting from the desert every day for three days. And we gave a really privileged experience for an international audience who already expects this from National Geographic. They then got a Airbnb host who is a native of Roswell to take people on a really privileged journey. And it was seamless, branded, integrated content, as well as a National Geographic show that worked for everybody in a format that was very modern. Yeah, and you know, Stephen yeah. brings up a really good point. That was one of the first times actually streamed to two different places. And since then, the technology has advanced, and that was only two years ago, the advanced so that we could stream to many different places. What this does, I don't think people fully appreciate how cool this is. What it means is that in traditional TV, you'd have something and then you would have to work hard to get eyeballs to go to that one destination, that one channel, that one website. With the ability to stream to many different places at once, you could go to where the audiences already are. And uh, an example uh, that I wanted to throw out there is that we were able to partner with Super Deluxe on a very, very special thing. Uh, we do a lot of uh, work with Reggie Watts. It's more All right, fun. and just tell tell the audience who Super Deluxe is. Sure. Super Deluxe is actually now defunct. Um, it was part of a Turner uh, uh, initiative, and it was sort of designed to, to uh, take content development from the kind of more digital space. Um, most of the divisions of Super Deluxe were foundering a little bit, and I'm sure I'm going to get comments about that, but <laughs> but the, one, of, one of the ones, one of the divisions that really was ex excelling was their live streaming, and we were fascinated with what they were doing. They were we're doing talking millions of cumulative right. viewers. By any by any modern metric, they were a success. Yeah. So so we um, we invited them to do kind of a little bit of more interactivity for a project we were doing with Reggie Watts that was a live stream sitcom idea that Reggie had. So we built a whole living room and a bedroom and a cafe scene on our stage. And um, 
uh, Reggie was able to get Rory Scovel, um, uh, the comedian Rory Scovel, and the comedian uh, Kate Berlant, and the three of them basically improved this entire sitcom. And uh, we and we should say this is also a very modern creator story, and that Reggie had done a show for Netflix, a comedy show. A very small piece of that was this crow's nest, quote unquote, sitcom that he would do a. He would do a set where he would bring guests on and they would do Crow's Nest on stage. Now, of course, that was live to tape and then packaged for Netflix. But Reggie had always had this dream of doing a complete 30-minute 1980s style sitcom with his friends. And he actually took it up a notch. He did something that we wouldn't really advise most brands to do because you want people to watch your archive but Reggie took the live all the way to this idea. What if it were live and then after that you could never see it again? It was just gone. It was just <laughs> gone. And to this day, you cannot find the live crow's nest. We had – I don't know what the final engagement was. It was somewhere near 100,000 viewers. Yeah, and actually this is, a really, this is the point I was actually trying to make is that um, – so the uh, – we were able to uh, live stream it to several places. Now, none of this stuff, we had no marketing budget, so no one knew it other than word of mouth. And at the very last minute, we realized that the YouTube page that Reggie had access to was actually different than the YouTube page that had a lot of subscribers to it. Um, so through, uh, uh, through some... Um, People we know in Hollywood, we were able to get access to his big YouTube page, but not in time to be able to really blast it out there. So only a few thousand watched it on his YouTube page. But luckily, we were able to simultaneously broadcast it on Super Deluxe. And there, since they already had the audience built in, since that audience was already used to seeing live material, our viewership was in the hundreds of thousands. So and there, there are two great learnings from there. Creators can do things that just five years ago would have never been possible. So that's on the Reggie side. On the Super Deluxe side, which was an incredibly successful live network, they had trained an audience to expect interesting live narrative entertainment. And so, is, is it is it going to take that training for people to you know wrap their head around it? You think, or it just helps grow the engagement? I think it's more like this. If 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 the live audience has to go to hundreds of thousands of different Facebook page and YouTube page and wherever things are live streamed, they're just going to kind of bounce around everywhere and they're only really going to watch the stuff that they end up knowing about. If there are just two or three or four outlets that are known for doing live content that you know that if you drop in there, you're going to have a fun time, uh, you're going to have a lot more success and a lot more engaged with those eyeballs. And that's what Super Deluxe was able to build. And it's unfortunate that Turner just cut all of Super Deluxe. They didn't, they didn't really even section off the live stream people, which were actually who are doing really well. They just cut everything kind of like with a hatchet. Luckily, those people, the people that were doing the Super Deluxe live stream have consolidated and are still working together and are now doing live stream for other brands and other creative outlets. And, and luckily, we are, are connected with them and we like them a lot. Uh, in fact, they were on our um, uh, TV Academy panel that we hosted here on live streaming uh, a couple weeks ago. Right. So I, I should mention, though, and this is, this is, again, there's no playbook here. We're creating it as we go. One thing that we do share with traditional media is that discovery has always been the challenge. When there were just three networks getting your sitcom or drama out there in front of people, and now that there are more than 500 scripted series on the cable networks, big streamers, plus the millions of minor channels, discovery as a challenge isn't going away. It's just becoming more complex. So... If you're going to see new content, Reggie's great because he's always going to inspire followers for the content he makes. A known network is great because they're going to build up their own viewers. And interestingly, there's still room for new players online who are aggregators of a certain type of content, which is why it made so much sense for us to go to Legendary and their digital platform, Alpha, because they were doing the hard work of aggregating 
genre fans who were hungry for something like a live science fiction show. So there's still some of that strategy going on here that hasn't really changed since the traditional days. Our storytelling tools, however, have completely revolutionized. And and as Stephen said, I mean, it's continuing to evolve. But um, this idea that uh, you don't have just one channel, though, I think is actually a, a new and interesting idea that that we need to explore further. So imagine a show, let's say it has a stream audience to uh, a very specific platform. Let's say uh, a, bi- a big brand has a streaming service that, or streaming um, on their Facebook page that a lot of people watch. So we stream a show to that. Well, we could also stream a show, that, that same show to four or five different places. And now you have five or six people that you could go to for sponsorship for a single show rather than going to one person. Um, and all of them are going to benefit from it because they're all using that show to, to, to broadcast to their specific audiences that they've already generated. And Legendary did some great work on this in the fall with us when we were showing our live show for the first time. They did some really cool integrations with one of the top live broadcasters in the world, which is Twitch. On um, the front page of Legendary Digital's Twitch site, they actually simulcast one of our episodes for Orbital. So it was a special stunt to draw in Twitch fans into the gated community of Legendary Digital. So, But let me ask you, so because um, I get the Twitch fans and I get the folks that Legendary have built up, but what about people that are more traditional broadcast or cable oriented how are they going to be pulled over are they going to be pulled over because discovery and then legendary and these guys will will market to them on cable and um satellite and all that to pull them into live streaming or will we not care or know where the content's coming from i I don't Yeah, I don't think you'll necessarily know. I mean, I think the destination is the destination. So no matter where you are, if for some reason you have a lot of people going to one specific cable channel for their content, you could easily stream to that cable channel and no one would know that it wasn't coming from a huge television studio. So I think um, that's one thing. However, again, the younger audience, and I'm looking at audiences like, you know, maybe under the age of 30 or under the age of 25 even, they're so used to going to these destinations and they've even created their own destinations on, uh, in the internet. So, you know, I think a lot of, we're seeing this already with broadcast television. A lot of the, the big companies are creating their own digital services. The question is, can all those digital services exist as separate destinations online or is there going to be some kind of consolidation uh, online uh, for these places? And, and then, of course, live content can benefit because audiences are consolidated and easily search. They can search for the content that they want to see. I, I want to echo um, off of Lewis on this and talk about it in terms of an opportunity, Lori. Yeah. Every yeah. single big broadcasting network who doesn't have – there's no way that – that really with any kind of fluid um, technology that CBS can on their traditional broadcasting network make a truly interactive show. That's not going to happen. It's just by nature of all of that embedded multi-billion dollar infrastructure. However, every single show on every one of these 500 scripted series, if you will, in our golden age of new television should be carefully considering how to broadcast to their built-in fans and their built-in audience a live component, a live interactive component. We're actually, in our pitching process, we're describing how to launch our new shows that we're talking to studios about today who are interactive-based and who are mindful of a digital audience. We're talking about, okay, here's the live night for the show. Here's what you do during the week for live character engagements that are part of this larger narrative. So we're beginning to talk about uh, narrative outside of the appointment or the destination evening and continuing the narrative experience. And frankly, for any hit show and broadcast right now, if they're not doing that, if they're not talking to a live strategist and a live provider about how to extend their experience past that single night each week, 
then they're leaving opportunity on the table. And there's another part of oh, no, this. Yeah, hold that hold that thought. We're going to sure. take a break. We're going to come back. Um, but I, I love all of this. I love this idea of a live strategist too, as opposed to like a dead one. But I, I, love, <laughs> I love all of this. We're going to be back in a moment talking to Stephen and Lewis over at Butcher Bird Studios. We've just been getting the download on this sort of fascinate, fascinating world um, of live streaming and just how to integrate it into a larger uh, content strategy. But I also know that these guys are digging into immersive solutions as well. So we'll talk a little bit more about that when we come back on the Tech Cat Show with the gentleman from Butcher Bird Studios digging into content strategy. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform, innovate, create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to Lori at TechCat.tv. That's Lori at TechCat.tv. Hi, everybody. And we have been talking about strategies around live streaming and sort of all the expanded opportunities as um, studios, networks, content brands bounce around uh, between all these different platforms with um, the folks at ButcherBird Studios, um, Louis Reyes and also Stephen Calcote, executive producer and writer-director extraordinaire over there. And you guys were just wrapping up sort of a summary of, of the live streaming approach because it's got branching potential here. But I, I wanted to also introduce other forms of content that you're looking at, too. So so give us your, your few closing remarks on uh, on live. Sure, yeah. I mean, I guess one of the special things about live, and St- Stephen mentioned earlier in this broadcast uh, that there are over 500 scripted shows out there. And who knows, outside of the scripted shows, all the reality shows and everything. And, I, and all the stuff that's not live, because they're aggregated on Netflix and Hulu and all these other places, they kind of they start um, building in a queue, right? Because you don't have to watch it immediately. So you just kind of put it in your queue. What live also does is it thrusts whatever you're making into, um, into the immediate, right? Now, sure, you could still watch it archived, but the experience is fundamentally different when you watch this live content uh, in an archived uh, way. And this is what is so special about, and and we were getting, Lori, you were mentioning immersive before the break. This gets us into immersive. Why is the experience different um, when you watch it live versus when you watch it later? And that, this is the key factor, the immersion. I'm going to talk about it in terms of thrills because at heart, including you, Lori, we're all, we're all entertainers. We love seeing the audience's eyes light up. also just define immersive because it means so many different things to That's so many true, different it people. Does. Sure. So let's let it all overlaps, but let's talk about traditional entertainment as something that you just you just watch and you don't have to do anything. Immersive is going to bring you in beyond the just watch modality. And immersive can be anything from which version of the show do you want 
all the way into choice-based entertainment, like Bandersnatch really lit up the world with at the end of last year on Netflix. And that was, right, that was the Netflix show where you could choose what direction the story took. Right. Uh, and then we can keep doubling down on that. So we can actually do live choices. We can start to bring in the audience in small ways, such as with the Reggie Watts live sitcom. All of the, all this is so simple, but it's it's so involving. All of the digital picture frames on this sitcom family wall were actually feeds from watchers of the program. It was their photos that were showing up on those on those uh, digital picture frames in real time. Now you can keep doubling down and adding users in. So you can say um, you can actually have people trigger real time effects, real time challenges for the actors who are actually in something. Now go meta. You can actually have users or viewers rather choose to watch the show from different angles. We did a live simulcast virtual reality experience for the first episode of Orbital Redux where if you wanted to, you could ignore what was going on in front of the camera and just watch the mission control that was live broadcasting the show because there were 10 cameras. There was a live band. There were live sound effects and stunts. So many people felt like it was just as exciting to see the show on the other side of the camera. All of a sudden, the audience has choices that were never before possible on the broadcast side. That's what immersive's about, taking beyond just watching and starting to experience it's entertainment. It's pushing you into the screen. And that doesn't always mean virtual reality, because I think a lot of people sort of think of immersion as, well, it's only immersion if you completely surround them with the, with the picture. But what if you what if you surround them um, kind of more more uh, philosophically with everything, all the choices, all the of the people, the audience, and the actors are all basically interacting with each other at the same time in real time. Um, that's where it starts getting uh, really exciting. In a single word, immersion is participation. Yes, it can be just a little bit, or it can be fully engaging and I don't have time to give anybody else attention because I am so into this program and offering choices and, and telling the actors what I'd love to see and looking around and bringing my friends in and chatting. So think of participation as a zero to 100 that we can add on top of the already engaging story. Yeah, and one of the things we brought up at the panel uh, that we hosted a couple weeks ago was this um, new vocabulary that is sort of, and, and new strategies that are being developed in the relationship between the creator and the audience. The fact that, that they both influence each other in very dynamic ways. Um, now, this isn't, the right way for all entertainment. I mean, there's still some amazing entertainment out there that can be these isolated experiences which a creator created something and the audience just consumes it. What we're not we're talking about is not something to replace that. We're talking about a different kind of entertainment experience that could expand the options available to the audience. Uh, and this is what 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 orbital and and immersive um, shows like this are. And this was the challenge that legendary digital laid down at the start because they've made a note they've made a name for themselves on the alpha network for getting fans engaged for really long live experiences for their hit shows like Critical Role, where there there is this sense that you're a part of a community when you tune in there. So what we did to up the ante on the narrative side, because they had never done a true interactive narrative experience, is we said, okay, we've got this amazing actor, Yuri Lowenthal, who many of your fans will have heard his voice on the PS4 Spider-Man game. He is Peter Parker. This was a chance for him to bring a lot of his big fan base along into this show as a, as a former astronaut who would be leading our space adventure. So we knew that people already liked Yuri and would, and would, and would be rooting for him and his character, Max. What we started to do from the very beginning of the show was create a covenant with the audience to promise the audience that their choices would radically alter where we would take the show over its first season arc. Huh. So before each show, and this is minutes before the actors would act actually have to do it, we had a pre-show and the audience was given a set of choices from two to three choices. 
Alpha actually had a live polling where all the fans could tune in and see where the poll was. So there might be three different choices. Uh, in the most extreme example, the ship was taken over by hackers. Bad security, huh. it's part of the story. And the audience was able to determine what part of the ship the hackers would damage. They voted on this in real time, and they had up to right until the show went live. So that is a really visceral mechanism they could participate in. On the other side, at the post-show, which was also live at the end of each episode, they would be given a big choice, a profound character choice that we would get the week to write up the basics for and then hand the actors. And we didn't know how this would work, and we didn't know how the fans would respond until the very uh, end of the show, we started realizing how invested people had become. And during the voting process where they were given a choice, the fan base were given a choice on what would happen to the main character, Yuri, playing Max, fans tried to stop the system. They tried to hang the vote so that we could not determine what the fans wanted. So they kept this interactive poll hung at 50-50. The pre-show actually went over time because we never got our choice. And finally, the moderator was able to get in at just the right moment when it went to 51 to 49 to stop the poll, and then that allowed us to begin our show. (laughs) And, And I don't know of any other more powerful, cool example than that, that because the fans have been writing the show with us, they suddenly took a personal involvement. Yeah, and actually, it's that level of investment. It's, pa- it's fanatic passion. It's that. It's that yeah. fan base. You're like you're like feeding the fan base, and it feels very much like um, you know the choose your adventure pieces and the uh, you know the sort of um, stuff we read as a kid. Sure. You know, where you the, where you could de- determine the direction. Though the difference here is that in those circumstances. Uh, you could always reset to one and then take a different path. Now fans would be making canonical decisions. Right. There is the a show would forever canonical. Be I love it. <laughs> right, and that's something that has happened very few times in show history. Right, and and right. so what we wanted to do is take the excitement of a Saturday Night Live where anything can and will go wrong, and say, okay, what if you applied this to sci-fi? Okay, now what if you did that hard? experience and that big challenge for us as storytellers and what if you get fans involved on top of that and they can start pushing things that they like well this work though it totally makes sense to me how this works for like you know the telenovela project and and for the um sci-fi project because those kind of projects are inherently for people that have fan um mentality and are also interactive and really passionate about the stories right but what about for other types of narratives, would totally. you not not choose to do something interactive? Maybe maybe um, for rom coms, are those more sit back? You know, well, I think you would just choose a different level of engagement. So so sometimes okay. again, for certain stories, you know, obviously you don't want the, the the seismic shifts in the narrative. So you engage in other ways, right? You engage in ancillary material. Um, you engage in in um, a live discussion of, say, an episode afterwards. Uh, you know, like uh, The Talking Dead is an extremely popular uh, show in which people talk about Walking Dead. And again, it's far more engaging when you watch it live right after the broadcast. But you bring up a great point, Lori. Live key entertainment or the live main narrative is not the right choice for everybody. But I would contend that just about anything out there in our golden age of television right now has a component that you could calve off to live. What huh. if you had a 30-minute live session with your character in character who would be able to interact with the audience in between? So there's still the sit-back narrative where you don't have to get involved in it. You can just let it play out. And then there's the more raw narrative where you can tune in on Tuesday rather than Thursday night for a one-on-one session with the character. And you might say, well, how is an actor going to do that? Here's the nice thing. Right off screen, they can have the same writers as always prompting them and giving them material. And by season three or four of a lot of shows, actors are going to know the characters better than the writers in some cases. Right. So this is the stuff that's happening on a lot of the reality programming where they do like the after hours that ends up going online, you know, separated completely from the show. But what you're saying is keep it all wrapped in together. 
Right. Why don't we give that same power to narrative? Right. And that's what got us excited because, listen, I started as a documentarian. I love reality, but it's not for everybody. I'm also a storyteller who's passionate about doing genre now. And we have only started to tell that story from immersive and interactive. Imagine if your favorite genre television whether it's Russian doll and you got a special character one-on-one with one of the minor characters you didn't spend enough time with, or whether it's your favorite show that's currently on television. What if we said, okay, let's do a live analysis. What's possible to do live here. Let's experiment. Let's see if audiences will engage. Yeah. And just, and just to cap off this, because I know we're running out of time yeah, here. We, we need to wrap. Yeah. And I want you to, to talk about how people can find you. Yeah, we would love, I will definitely say that. Um, One real last note, though, we're not saying that live is the end-all, be-all of everything. We're just saying that there is a new vocabulary being developed that involves the way narrative is constructed, the way engagement is constructed, and again, the way you approach digital as a strategy. But you can find us at www.com. Butcherbird Studios, B-U-T-C-H-E-R-B-I-R-D Studios, S-T-U-D-I-O-S.com. Um, and definitely check us out there. You can also check us out on Facebook.com backslash um, Butcherbird Studios. And we've got a Twitter feed and we've got our we've got our pick uh, our uh, Instagram. And also, if you're interested in Orbital, it's still on uh, Project Alpha. And if you go to orbitalredux.com, that's R-E-D-U-X.com, there's still a uh, big discount for signing up and checking out what the folks at Alpha are doing. Yes. Great. And, well, and, we've, uh, got, we've got to wrap, you guys, great. but um, we could listen to you forever. Like <laughs> Such great examples of all the opportunities in live streaming and also just a great example you know, of a hot media company really being flexible and dancing with both tech and storytelling uh, merged together. So we've been talking to Luis Reyes and also to Stephen Calcote from Butcherbird Studios, just getting a download, a really hot creative media company in Burbank, California. Check them out. Check out all the great work they're doing. And Luis and Stephen, thank you so much for joining the Tech Cat Show today. Thank Thanks, you, Lori. Lori. This was a blast. Bye, everybody. We'll talk next week, hopefully with some more cool folks. Probably not as cool, right, you guys? (laughs) You are so kind. Thank you. Thanks, Lori. Thanks so much for listening to the Tech Cat Show. Please join Lori H. Schwartz again for another great program next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel and syndicated to the Voice America Women's Channel. 